Would you like to get involved in sponsoring Rock Chalk Sports Talk or the Best of RCST podcast? How about getting involved in some KU action or local high school sports? You can reach out to us, djohnson at gpmnow.com. That's djohnson at gpmnow.com, and we'll see what we can do to help out your business and get involved here in local sports. All right, we got a lot of different things coming at you today, okay? And I'm just sensing a little bit of a lull right now. F*** that. You don't got time to say All right, let's go. Break it. Break it. Let it cross. Woo! Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson on FM 1017 and 1320-KLWN. Hey, what's happening? Welcome in to another edition of Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Derek Johnson, once again, flying with you solo here on RCST. We've got plenty of audio to share for you on today's show as KU Camp continues on into day two here. We practice indoors with the weather. And we got to hear from Andy Kotelnicki, the offensive coordinator for KU. Also got to hear from the two quarterbacks for the first time in fall camp, Jalen Daniels and Jason Bean. So we'll have that for you later on in the show, including part of Andy Kotelnicki coming up here in about 20 minutes. Jesse Newell of the Kansas City Star is going to join us at 340. Normally, we'd be talking to Jesse throughout the year about KU football, KU basketball, but obviously Jesse has gotten a new position at the Kansas City Star where he's now covering the Kansas City Chiefs. So this will be our first time talking to Jesse. Uh, I mean, we talked to him once as kind of like a send-off for the uh, basketball thing and uh, obviously the last time with him being kind of a, a weekly regular guest. But we still do want to catch up with him, you know, every so often and, and talk Chiefs. We obviously still talk Chiefs on the show here. And, and that camp has started up, so we're going to talk with Jesse coming up here in about 35 minutes. We also have a KU mailbag coming up in the 4 o'clock hour. So if you have any last-second questions, you can either hit me up at Radio on Twitter or the Twitter page for RCST at RCST1320 with any questions you have asked. We have a good amount to get to already, so no guarantees if you do ask at this point that we'll get there, but doesn't hurt or we'd get around to it next week. Also, two more editions of RCST Trivia. That coming at you in the 4 o'clock hour. All right, that is the the menu for today, the Speisekarte, as you would say in uh, German. KU landed a commit on the basketball court last night in the form of Chris Johnson. Chris Johnson is the 33rd ranked recruit on the 24-7 sports composite. He is ranked 30th by specifically 24-7 sports. He's ranked 24th on ESPN, but then he's he's a little further down. He's ranked 55th on Rivals. I don't know what the because that's, that's a pretty big difference. A lot of times you'll see like, ah, oh, well, you know, this this site's higher on him. It has him eight spots higher. And this spot, uh, you know, this other one has him three spots different than the... You don't see uh, differences in, in recruiting opinion that much. I don't know what would go into that, but, you know, maybe Rivals wasn't caught up to those other grades. And, and if he ends up being ranked 35 there, what does it do to the composite? He's a top 30 recruit. Nonetheless, I might just refer to this as a top 30 recruit even though you want to say, oh, he's 33 on the 24-7 composite, whatever. Here are the scouting reports on him. He's a six foot five combo guard. He's one of the top 10 combo guard recruits in the country. This was from Brandon Jenkins in March of 2021. 
A versatile scoring and playmaking guard with a solid dose of explosiveness, Johnson simply has that alpha male mentality. He is known for his work ethic, but also just knows how to play on both ends with a good natural instinct for the game. A gifted passer, Johnson has an excellent feel for the game and matching skills with great size. He can impact the game as a secondary ball handler as he has the feel, touch, and vision to be an effective playmaker. Defensively, he is known for being the ultimate competitor, and it shows in the way he competes on that end. Johnson projects as a great player and prospect that will be an immediate contributor at whatever program he chooses down the road. So that was Brandon Jenkins from 24-7 Sports in March of 2021. It's obviously been another year of development and everything for him there. But that scouting report, does that not sound like an ideal Bill Self point guard or, or not point guard, combo guard? Does that not sound like a player that Bill Self would love to have? Once again, versatile scoring and playmaking guard. Bill Self loves to have players who can handle the ball. He loves to have his two or three or four, whoever, be able to handle the basketball. I don't think this guy would come in expecting to be the point guard. I'm thinking more what Quentin Grimes was supposed to come in as, you know, 6'5", kind of combo guard. He was supposed to play next to Devon Dotson. Um, it's a little bit of a different fit for having to play next to what Dewan Harris would be than what Dotson would do. And, and I'm not saying this guy is Quentin Grimes, for better or for worse. Obviously, Grimes has turned into an absolutely exceptional NBA player and everything, but uh, in his time at Kansas, left a little something to be desired there. Um, but just in terms of, we know Bill Self likes to play multiple point guards. We know that it seems like over the last couple of years, it's gone to this system of having three wings and a point guard where you have four guys who can grab and go. This guy obviously fits into that billing. Again, he has the alpha male mentality. He's known for his work ethic, plays hard. He's a good defender, right? Like those are all things that would seem to endear you to any coach, but especially a coach like Bill Self, who you have to do the little things. You have to work hard. You have to play good defense. And like we talked to Kevin Flaherty yesterday, he is certainly a very competitive guy. Like how many stories have we heard along the way under Bill Self where you've had, you know, your your Frank Masons, your Russell Robinsons, your Tyshawn Taylors, you know, name other past KU great players, guards, whatever that Bill Self will like to get under these players' skin in practice. But there are some players that would, you know, kind of chomp back at him, that would speak back at him. And, and it wasn't something, like, obviously there is a certain line that you can't cross. Like, I, I remember, you know, there was a story about uh, Russell Robinson, like, wanting to basically, like, fight Bill Self and getting, like, kicked out of a practice, right? Like, there is a certain line there that, that you don't want to cross, but at the same point in time, there's also a part of it where, like, I think Christian Brown was part of this too, where it's like you kind of jawing back and forth with him and going back in him, like, he kind of respects that and he kind of likes the the edge that you provide because it's showing that, hey, you're not bothering me, I'm mentally tough, like, I can take it, right? He likes seeing that fight. This sounds like a guy who would kind of fit that billing, which I think is a very good thing just in general, but especially for what KU does and and how Bill Self coaches. Like, I think those are good qualities and good traits to have. This was the scouting report, the more recent one, though. This was Adam Finkelstein, again, of 24-7 Sports. This was from back in July. Johnson is a big guard with size and strength alike. He changes speeds, protects the ball at a high level going through the lane, and can score the ball in numerous ways inside the arc. He needs to keep progressing as a three-point threat with both inconsistent mechanics and a bit of hardball. Defensively, he has tools that should be eventually translate at a high level. Overall, he is confident, physical, and plays with an edge. 
that can be either a competitive advantage or disadvantage depending on how it is impacting him. So again, uh, the kind of conversation of he is like an ultimate athlete, like he's one of those guys who gets really, really mad when you lose. And I think that can be kind of a good thing. Obviously, you do have to harness it. It can't turn into being a bad teammate and stuff like that. And I don't know if that's what the illusion is to there. And I'm not saying that that's the case for this guy. Um, I think you take it. It's funny how we we kind of treat those players. Like, just think of, like, in the NBA. Here's a perfect example of it. Like, Jimmy Butler, right? Jimmy Butler wins games and he does all these things with the Miami Heat. Everybody loves Jimmy Butler. And they laugh about the stories about, you know, he this guy wasn't able to take it in practice and blah, 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 right? But then when Jimmy Butler is part of the Timberwolves and they're not winning games, it's like, man, can you believe this guy, right? So it's one of those things where we kind of perceive it how we want to, or if you're winning games, we're going to perceive it as a positive. If you're losing games, we're not. That's just kind of the nature of the business. I don't really put much into account of it because typically Kansas wins games, right? You want guys who are ultra competitive. And there have been other players at Kansas who have been like that. Like Devon Dotson is a perfect example of that, right? He was an ultimate competitor. He was kind of that, like, like it sounds like a bad term, but I think it's a good thing for an athlete in certain regards, like being a sore loser because that helps drive a competitive edge to you and ended up working out okay for KU, right? So again, like a, a big time recruit, um, what this means for the future roster, like you look at 2023, 2024, I think you assumed Dewan Harris would be back again at point guard. Obviously, we, we've talked a lot about coming into this year. You have Joe Yesifu, Bobby Pettiford, Kyle Cuff. Realistically, one of those three is going to earn the lion's share of, of the backup point guard minutes or the guard next to Dewan Harris minutes, and there might not be as much room for the other two. At the very least, there won't be room for all three of them. So realistically, whoever wins that battle across this season will probably be secured in with it, Dewan, in 2023-24. But then the other guy, or maybe two of the other three, might end up transferring at the end of the next season, whoever loses out that battle. So that would open up some some possible minutes. But even if you have two guys back, I don't know how many point guard minutes you could expect to play there, even though he is a combo guard. So then you're looking at, you know, at 6'5", he can obviously play the three. You're looking at him playing probably the two and three. And it's kind of impossible to tell what the roster is and the minutes in the rotation could look like because Kevin McCuller is a wing, and I think he has intentions of having a good enough season that he can go pro after this year. But what happens if it's just a solid season and he wants to come back and, and be the leader of the team or he wants to come back and improve on the draft stock even more or it wasn't quite the NBA draft season for him and he has to come back? Same thing for like MJ Rice and Grady Dick, these high-level freshmen I'm sure if you ask both of them, they'd be like, yeah, I'd love to have a good enough season that I can be a one and done. But what happens if it doesn't? What happens if you have one or two of those back and they're taking kind of the role you expect of uh, Chris Johnson to come in? So if two of those three guys come back, you assume they would be starters on the wing. Now, if only one of those three comes back, then there's a lot of minutes that could probably be had for Johnson on the wing. But that's also before we know other recruits that would commit, other transfers that would come in next year. We're still a long ways away from that. But realistically, like you look at the roster, yeah, if some guys leave, maybe you could come in and start right away. Otherwise, it's kind of a battle for minutes. Uh, so a little too early to kind of figure that stuff out. But I, I think maybe what is most prominent, what is most interesting to me among this commitment for KU is what this shows with Bill Self. And I don't mean from a standpoint that this is any different than what we already know about Bill Self, that he's a great coach, that he's a great recruiter, all these things. 
But just to the level that if you think about this here, right? Bill Self hasn't been recruiting or going out to these summer events. KU sidelined him from going out to the, the summer circuit here. He's got an NCAA cloud hanging over his head. And yet, among all that, he just landed a top 30 recruit in the country. And that, that's not normal, man. And not just a top 30 prospect, but one that seems to, like I said, be a great fit to Bill Self, to his style of play, what he likes in a player. Like, uh, I don't know, you, you hear that kind of term that gets thrown around a lot now kind of as a joke. Like, he seems to have that dog in him. And so if, if Bill Self is, is, you know, recruiting like that now, and again, like I do understand it's still not that crazy to say, of course, Bill Self's going to recruit great. He's at Kansas. He's still Bill Self, and they just won a national freaking title. But again, he literally has not been out on the recruiting trail. So if he's getting kids like Johnson, who is a top 30 recruit and a good fit now, like just imagine once this NCAA shadow has disappeared. And I don't know when that'll be because we don't know when a decision will be had. We don't know how long any punishments that come from the decision would be had. But whenever KU lives out any possible punishments and they get through the other side of this and they have made it past and made it out of this NCAA shadow, then what are we talking about there? Because that has been the one thing. And, and, and we can argue all day and all night about the best construction and, and what you actually should do to have the most success in college basketball because you could say, well, look at North Carolina when they were dealing with the NCAA over them over an academic scandal and they had a bunch of you know high-level four-stars who weren't one-and-dones and they go to back-to-back titles, they win a title and they win another one a couple of years prior to that with Roy Williams. Bill Self wins it this past year. There was that stat that was tossed around a ton with, you know, KU not having like these RC or, or, you know, uh, a certain amount of top 100 recruits coming in and and that they won a title and everything. But I guess that's kind of the point is that that happens to be more the exception than the rule. Um, And I'm not saying you, you just completely dive in and do the full one and done thing, but if you had the option, like like to me, still the perfect roster construction in college basketball nowadays is what like the 2016-17 team was. It wasn't built on freshmen. You had a star freshman who was one of your two best players on the team, but you had veterans around it. Be able to bring in a recruit or two that can do that and that could be there for future building, but overall you still do need veterans to pick it up. But even then, if you're looking at a recruiting class that KU brought in, which was freshman laden and counted on those freshmen, yeah, it wasn't great for that specific year. But like you think of the 13-14 season after the 2013 recruiting class where you had all those big names, and it wasn't just about, hey, we got Wiggins and Embiid. It was about you got Frank Mason, who became a future national player of the year, right? So I, I think realistically what we're seeing here is once they do find the other side of this NCAA stuff, I expect them to be starting to landing those top five, top ten kids again. And they did get a top ten guy in, like, Quentin Grimes. But more so, we've seen them around that, you know, 15 to top 30 range for the highest guys they're bringing in. I think once they get out of the other end, the point here being if you already got a top 30 with all this going on, maybe you'll start getting those Josh Jackson, Andrew Wiggins, Joel Embiid types back. And again, you can argue and say, I don't want the class built with those guys, but if you can have it like the 16-17 team where you have veteran teams around it and then you add that one perfect piece, that's not a bad way to live.
This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017-1320-KLWN. and Jesse Newell is going to join us in about 20 minutes. We are brought to you by Homefield Apparel. Homefield, a premium collegiate apparel brand out of Indianapolis, has incredibly comfortable, officially licensed apparel with vintage college designs because they dig through the archives of your school to find unique logos, mascots, and moments. The Kansas Collection has 14 pieces of apparel, including T-shirts, hoodies, crewnecks, and they are some of the most comfortable things that you will wear, plus they look really cool. And they just released, well, not just, but after the national championship, they released a national championship shirt. Use the code ROCKCHALKSPORTSTALK. That's ROCKCHALKSPORTSTALK, all one word, and you'll get 15%, 15% off your first order. That's right. Code Rock Chalk Sports Talk, all one word for 15% off with home field apparel on your first order. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk here on KLWN. And uh, friend of the show, Jesse Newell, took a job with the Kansas City Star, staying with the same company, to cover the Kansas City Chiefs. We talked about this last time Jesse was on the show several months ago. So uh, hasn't been appearing as regularly, but figured, you know, why not bring him on now? Chiefs camp has started up and everything. So Jesse, I hope everything's going all right. Um, as you're kind of covering this Chiefs training camp, uh, is there a position battle or a player or, or a story that you find most intriguing so far along the way over in uh, Missouri? Yeah, well, uh, I think the biggest thing right now that's sort of emerged has just been the rookie class. And we all knew that when Tyreek Hill was traded and the Chiefs got extra picks that they sort of were – maybe trying to open up their window for Patrick Mahomes for the next five to seven years to remain competitive throughout when some other teams in football, you know, you think, especially in the AFC, like the Chargers, the Bills, the Raiders, the Broncos, all those teams kind of shoved their chips in the middle. The Chiefs sort of took a step back with the thought that maybe they could compete for a longer term with Patrick Mahomes as their quarterback if they got cheaper and younger and uh, were able to, you know, have more maneuverability with the salary cap. But so far, so good. I mean, I think in most draft classes, you probably feel good if you have three to four players that come out of it. And right now, the Chiefs, probably, you're looking at five to six, I would say, right now, if, if not more than that, that they're going to rely upon even here in their rookie seasons. You know, you start with Karloftis and McDuffie, the two first-round picks, have been as advertised so far, been pretty good. Brian Cook, a safety they're really happy with. Brett Beach talked to us, uh, you know, out a week ago about how smart he is and, and how they like, you know, how he's formulating uh, what's happening with the defense. Sky Moore has turned some heads with some catches. Uh, if he can remain healthy, you know, he's battled some hip and hamstring stuff. But if he can stay healthy, that's good. Leo Chanel's come on as of late as a linebacker and should be a special teams player, if nothing else. And then guys like Joshua Williams and Jalen Watson have been mixing in with the first team reps at cornerback. So again, if you can pull one of those guys late, like the Chiefs have tended to do with guys like Traverius Ward late in the draft, then those can be really beneficial. And then uh, Isaiah Pacheco has been one of the stories of camp as a running back with some power and speed combo, and he's going to project as the Chiefs' kick returner to start the year as well. So, yeah, I mean, this thing could really shape the future of the Chiefs if not only was Fred Beats able to move back and get some extra draft picks, but if most of those guys hit, which is kind of what it looks like at this moment. So we'll see how camp progresses with the pads just coming on this week, but if all holds to form, then this could be sort of the draft you look back to and say, hey, this is really when the Chiefs dynasty started or a run of multiple championships where they were able to get young and cheap and able to build a lot of talent around Patrick Mahomes and able to extend that window for years to come. And you mentioned Sky Moore as, as part of that rookie class. Seems like he is, uh, I don't know, getting a lot of attention on, I guess, the social media end of things, which I know that's not the real world or anything, but um, is there kind of a sense that, that he seems to be ahead of, of maybe what they expected and that 
I don't know, maybe you bring a guy in and, and you make these other signings of guys like Juju Smith-Schuster and Marcus Valdez-Scantling, and you're thinking, yeah, he's going to contribute, but maybe he'll more so be the fourth option when you have McCall Hardman as well back. And then next year, when we're starting to lose some guys, he'll step up. Does it seem like he's kind of ahead of that and, and that maybe there is a, a real conversation to be had? And, and I don't know how much you know of this they're actually talking about, but you know who is the true number one that he could be kind of in competition for that? Yeah, I think somewhere in the middle of what you're talking about there, Derek, because you're right. The Chiefs, if you look at their receiver options this year, most of the guys, uh, or at least a couple of them, are short-term options because McCall Hardman's in a contract year. Uh, you're talking about Juju Smith-Schuster's in a one-year deal. So you could take Sky Moore just saying, hey, you know, let him play some uh, role as a fourth receiver for the Chiefs. Let him ease in. Again, he had some, of, uh, some hamstring issues in OTAs, so you can kind of, Make sure he's ready to go. But I talked to Patrick Mahomes here uh, last week, and he talked about um, – actually, it was earlier this week, and he talked about how Sky Moore kind of sits behind him when they do their film sessions. And he's really he really likes the questions that he asks. You know, he says he's in the film room and kind of trying to read coverages. And, you know, what has made, like, Travis Kelsey so successful with Patrick Mahomes is that there are, there are routes in the playbook of the Chiefs run – but Kelsey doesn't always follow that. Like, he looks at who's in front of him, he sees where the coverage is, and then he finds the openings. And then he's on the same page as Patrick Mahomes and sees things the same way, and it makes it very difficult for the defense. So the fact that Patrick was talking earlier this week just about, hey, Sky's asking the right sorts of questions. He understands the route he's supposed to run, and now he's trying to figure out, okay, is there a way to break it off in, in this way to try to make it so that I'm more open and give you a route to throw it to? Uh, that's the sort of thing that's sort of advanced, I would say, for a rookie. But um, you know, Patrick seemed pretty happy with where he was at at this point and potentially, as you're talking about, maybe helping a little bit sooner than the Chiefs would have anticipated. Now, again, what does that mean? I don't know, because the receiver room is crowded. I think that the, the top four guys have pretty much solidified themselves above the others when we talk about Hardman, uh, Marquez Valdez, Scantling, Juju Smith-Schuster, and Sky Moore. But it does seem like more and more in the offense when he's getting those first-team reps, I'm talking about Sky Moore and able to be in there and, and show some explosiveness explosiveness off the line of scrimmage that yeah he could help the Chiefs this year and maybe be a bigger part of their plans than even they were expecting at the running back position um Clyde Edwards-Alaire looking for kind of that breakout year in year three but they signed Ronald Jones obviously we saw Jarek McKinnon at the end of last season in the postseason really coming up with with big plays Uh, how do you kind of envision the running backs being utilized for the team I mean is it truly a running back by committee we haven't always seen that in I guess the Andy Reid era, do you give like Ronald Jones a real chance at, at maybe usurping Clyde Edwards-Alaire as being kind of the top guy? No, actually, so I, I wrote about this earlier this week, and it's funny, I, I, maybe it's already the Jesse Newell star jinx, but things have kind of changed since <laughs> I wrote that story, but um, they've been really high on Isaiah Pacheco, the seventh-round pick, and he was getting some first-team reps earlier in the week uh, and late last week, you know, with the the number ones on the offense. So you're thinking, okay, um, wow, that, that's something that's not expected. And again, he's sort of a, a one of those guys where ran a four three seven forty at the combine, which tied for the best out of all the running backs. Plus, he has some power rates at two fifteen, two twenty, something in that range. So uh, you know, kind of reminiscent of some of those guys, and and makes sense as a kicker turner in that way, where you can take some hits but also have some speed to break it into the open. Uh, but yeah, it's it's. It, you know, we talked with Brett Veach, uh, myself, and Herbie Tiope from the Star last week, and he talked about how the running back battle was like one of the ones he was most focused on and most interested in it because I, I don't think they understand or know exactly which way they're going to move at this point. Um, you know, in a day like today, they did mostly red zone stuff, and Ronald Jones had his best day with the Chiefs. Last week, he was running mostly with the twos. 
Today, he was doing great stuff in, in goal line and, again, pushing the pile ahead, making one cut and going. So they all kind of bring different things, but I think it all circles back to this is a huge year for Clyde Edwards-Alaire. I mean, he's got to produce, and what we've seen in camp so far is they've split him out a bunch. They've had him out in formations a lot, and so getting him more involved in the passing game maybe wasn't a priority when you have Tyreek Hill, but now that you don't have him, it's, it's looking kind of holistically, I'll use the Lance Leipold term, holistically at your offense, and trying to figure out how you can best make these pieces fit and play to their strengths. So I would anticipate more catches this year, for sure, for Clyde Edwards-Alaire. That's how they've been utilizing him in the offense. But, you know, how do they mix all these guys in? Again, Jarek McKinnon is a catching back. Isaiah Pacheco is going to be their kick returner probably to start the season, so he can have him there and on special teams. And then Ronald Jones seems like a back where if you've got a downhill run or in the red zone that you kind of want that power uh, sort of – uh, you know, a- able to be there at your disposal so you can run some guys over and get those extra yards. So, yeah, I don't know if they're going to keep four backs. It seems like that's probably what they what you'd lean to at this point, but they've got a crowded roster. So, like I said, uh, if if the general manager is telling you that's one he's interested in, he's not sure it's going to shake out, then I guess I'd be foolish to tell you I know how it's going to shake out. But they do have some guys there, and more than anything, it's just a big year for Clyde Edwards-Alaire because he is not been as productive as most first-round picks have been. It needs to be a big year for him for the Chiefs to commit to him long-term. I guess a natural follow-up for me on that, too, is just, I, I mean, you see the analytics and, and we hear a lot about the, the running back, you know, how much do they matter, never take them in the first round, that, that sort of thing, and, and this is kind of in the same milk of that. Do you think it matters much, like, if somebody breaks out at the running back position? Like, is that a necessity in an offense that lost Tyreek Hill that has really good run blockers behind it if they want to do that more, that has... Uh, maybe a little less weaponry on the outside than in the past couple of years. Like, how how much does having a running back kind of break out and be the guy matter? Well, so I think of it in two ways. So I think most of the pushback to don't draft a running back in the first round is exactly what you're seeing with Clyde Edwards-Alaire right now, which is the Chiefs took him in the first round. He's been disappointing so far. But now you're sort of locked into him. You're kind of pot committed to him because you use that resource on him. Whereas you've seen in the past, the Chiefs have taken a lot of seventh round draft picks or undrafted free agents and made them into very successful backs and they've done just fine. And I think that's kind of what that sort of mantra is trying to preach, which is, okay, if, if you somehow know that the guy's going to turn into Jonathan Taylor, it's okay to take him in the first round. The problem is we just don't know which guys they are, and most of those guys are centered toward the middle. Like They're mostly a fungible resource, if you want to put it that way. You know, you can pull a young guy out of you know, basically nowhere uh, off of an undrafted free agent or seventh-round pick, and those guys usually are or can be as good as some of the higher-ranked picks up there. So I would say that the, uh, on the other hand here, you know, I think for the Chiefs, the Chiefs are such an outlier offense that basically defenses are daring them to run the ball. And when the Chiefs do run the ball on their limited opportunities, the line has done a great job of blocking and getting four to five yards. The problem is that the Chiefs' backs have been bad at getting any more than that. And it changes your thought process and your mindset. I mean, you know, the Chiefs had a game, I think it was last year, against the Eagles, where the Eagles sort of played that way. They sat back, and the Chiefs just kept running the ball and get 12 yards, 20 yards, 22 yards, uh, all those sorts of things. So, if you can turn these four- and five-yard gains into 10 yards, 12 yards, keep moving the chains, it's going to make Andy Reid more likely to continue to run the ball a little bit and keep defenses honest. And it's just going to give the Chiefs another weapon to use when these teams are trying these exotic defenses 
to try to make Patrick Mahomes not play as well as he normally does. So I think there is some give and take there. And I wrote a, a, an article about a month ago about Ronald Jones and potentially, yeah, those four and five yard gains. If the, the offensive line blocks it for four to five yards and the Chiefs pick up eight to nine, that's way, way more beneficial. And there's actually a, a really key play in the Cincinnati game where Clyde Edwards-Alaire tried to break free of a tackle. In doing so, he lost his momentum and lost his leverage. And a four or five yard gain uh, got stopped at four yards. He actually got driven backwards where if he would just run behind his block and fell forward, he gains nine or ten. Maybe the Chiefs move, you know, get a first down. Maybe they continue to run the ball. Maybe things change and, and turn out differently just based off that one play. So I do think it's important, uh, maybe more important than what most of the analytics or, or what the perception of the analytics would be. But I think more than anything with running backs, you don't commit resources because a lot of times the seventh-round guy can be as good as the first-round guy, and, and that might be playing out in Chiefs camp right now. They're going to give Clyde Edwards there every opportunity to win this job, but yet it really wouldn't be shocking, I would say at this point, to learn that next year that Isaiah Pacheco is every bit the back that Clyde Edwards-Alaire is. And if that's the case, then using a first-round resource on that is not the best use of what you can have in a draft pick. We're talking with Jesse Newell of the Kansas City Star. You've obviously been around here when, uh, you know, seemingly every year we get the Kansas basketball player gains 20 pounds of muscle. He's in the best shape of his life. And that happens in every sport. Um, I don't know if that's what we're hearing with Frank Clark or, or how much you, you think this could lead to a real change, but, you know, made some differences in his offseason and, and diet regime and everything, not eating red meat, uh, getting rid of, like, alcohol and stuff in his diet. I think he lost uh, 10 pounds or so, seems to be moving faster and everything. Are, are you kind of buying into the changes that are going on there, or do you kind of chalk that up? in the same ilk as, as some of those other things that we hear about of, you know, best shape of his life, but it doesn't end up, like, actually impacting anything. Yeah, somewhere in the middle. Uh, I think, first, Frank Clark deserves credit for his accountability and openness. Um, you know, it doesn't help the Chiefs now uh, for last year, because obviously, if you go back and watch, like, the Buffalo game, Cincinnati game, he was huffing and puffing all over the field. Uh, something needed to be done, and uh, him taking... McConnell saying he wasn't good enough last year and having a hard heart with Andy Reid and deciding to change it. I mean, listen, I think we've all dealt with times where we've eaten crap food. I can raise my hand here for the last two weeks of training camp, and it's, it's really easy to go undisciplined. And Frank Clark became disciplined and stuck with it. So he deserves credit for that. Now, the question is, you know, there have been times in the past where he's had moments like this where he's talked and, and people have liked what he had to say. And it didn't always produce results. The question for him is, you know, he's always sort of been a, a bull rusher type. He does look really skinny and really light. Uh, is he a speed rusher now? You know, did he lose too much weight? How, how is that going to help him? You know what I mean? Like, it, it's better to be in shape than to not be in shape. But when your key is to basically bowl over the guy in front of you, and that's what you've done your whole career, can you do that 15 pounds less? You know, is that going to be just as effective, or is that actually not helping your cause as much as many people think? So, you know, I, like I said, I, I appreciate through interviews for a person who admits mistakes of the past, admits he wasn't good enough, and then physically does something to change it. And you can see from his body type, he did do something this offseason to change and try to be better this year. Will it pan out? I don't know. I don't know that answer. And again, he's a guy that's, uh, you know, starting to be a little bit older and, and is working for his next contract. So we'll see if that pans out for the Chiefs. If, they, if it does, if he's better, that's a huge, huge key for their defensive line. But uh, again, I, it, it, I, I hesitate to just think he's going to go out there and have you know, an amazing all-pro type of season because, uh, yeah, whether that sort of transition, transformation results in results, 
uh, that still remains to be seen. We'll, we'll see more in preseason games and obviously week one when they start to take on the uh, Arizona Cardinals. I did want to part ways with you, give you another kiss, Mary kill before you go. So uh, I know you haven't been removed uh, long enough from KU football or KU basketball to be com- completely devoid of what's going on there. Um, not that you would be anyway, but uh, so here's your kiss, Mary kill for today. KU football going to a bowl game, KU basketball making a final four, or the Chiefs winning the Super Bowl? Those are your three options for today. Uh, okay. Uh, yeah, I know it's the season of optimism. I'll kill KU football <laughs> going to a bowl game. I've talked about this a lot, but, you know, the slope is not always a steady incline. I mean, I don't think fans should expect two wins, then, you know, six wins, then whatever. I, I think that the. Right now, Lance Leipold needs another year, and they're still going to be probably double-digit underdogs in every Big 12 game this year. Plus, they have a tough schedule in the non-conference. So, two to three victories for me, I think that still could be a positive step forward. And then next year is when you start to maybe squint and look into the future and say, potentially, this team could win more than uh, three games for the first time since 2009. So, I'll, I'll kill that idea. I think that expectation is just a little bit too high. Uh, so, let's see. KU Basketball Final Four, and then I, I'll... I'll uh, I'll marry KU basketball to the Final Four. Uh, I hop on the uh, Grady Dick uh, bandwagon, hype bandwagon. I'm, I'm number one here. I've already put on the record that I think he's going to lead KU in scoring, and you add that to the rest of the pieces that they have. Uh, I think that that could be a special thing. Obviously, the one thing that could derail that is what happened with the NCAA, but we haven't gotten more from that yet, and they seem to the IRP seems to want to move in a direction where it's not – you know, hurting people that had nothing to do with it. And God knows that Grady Dick was probably about 11 years old when this whole thing started. So we'll see what happens with that. Uh, and, yeah, I guess I'll kiss the Chiefs winning the Super Bowl. Uh, it's really hard to do. And there's other good teams out there, and I would say Buffalo is better than them right now. But when you got Patrick Mahomes, you got a chance. So uh, I think that's definitely something that should be kissed and uh, something that fans can still have a realistic uh, shot at to, to watch this season and see how it goes and see uh, the Chiefs, you know, potentially make another postseason run. It's, it's always possible when number 15 is your quarterback. If I would have changed the Chiefs one to just making the Super Bowl, would you have switched that to the Mary? Uh, it would have been closer. It would have been closer. Yeah, I, I think the AFC, like I said, they loaded up, but I think the Chiefs did really smart to sort of stand their ground. You know, I'm, and I've heard a lot of discussion about this, but like the Bills right now, they are so sick and tired of losing to the Chiefs. I mean, think about the 13 seconds game. Think about the year before. Like, they need to push through. They need to win, get to a Super Bowl, win a Super Bowl. And because of that, you put pressure on yourself. You sign free agents. And maybe you're going to hurt yourself in three or four years. But you don't care. You, you want to get over that mountaintop now. The Chiefs won their Super Bowl in 2019. So they will take a deep breath, look at what's best for the big term, the long, the long term, the big picture. And so when some of these teams are trying to catch them this year, that might not be good for those teams in two or three years when the Chiefs got their cap under control, got some young players, and potentially they're built to win for the next five, seven, nine years, these other teams are built to win for one to two. So um, Chiefs got a chance this year, though. Like I said, with Mahomes, you're always going for it. But uh, maybe a, a minor step back, that still puts them in the game, though. <laughs> Heck, if they'd have won that game against Cincinnati and held on with that 21-3 lead, then we'd probably be talking about them winning two Super Bowls anyway. That, that would have been another Super Bowl and then looking at potentially even more after that. He is Jesse Newell. You can check out all his coverage of the Chiefs as they go through training camp in the preseason over in the Kansas City Star. Jesse, I appreciate the time as always, man. All right. Thanks, Art. All right. That's Jesse Newell, Kansas City Star, joining us here. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk. One hour down, two to go on FM 1017, 1320 KLWN, depending on it. Did you know that on our website, klwn.com, as well as our sister stations, 1059kissfm.com, 
bull929.com, we have a program called Hometown Deals. So you click the tab, and it takes you to a magical place where gift cards are 50% off. We have handfuls of different restaurants and places that you can go to that you can get a 50% off gift card to. So just go to the website, click Hometown Deals, and you'll see some of those gift cards for 50% off. If you're a business and interested in being part of this as well and getting featured ads at no cash price and just gift card cost, shoot us an email, djohnson at gpmnow.com. More RCST trivia coming at you in about 20 minutes from right now. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. But first, we have a KU mailbag that we've got to get to. So thank you for all the submissions. Real quick before we get into this, I did want to at least make mention. We haven't talked to any Royals today. They did make a trade at the deadline yesterday, giving up Whit Merrifield to the Toronto Blue Jays. Also gave away Cam Gallagher for Luke Weaver uh, to I guess kind of help strengthen the bullpen, but um, with Merrifield, of all places, he went to Toronto, which was kind of the reason this whole thing. So there was kind of some some irony in that to begin with. But they got back a couple good prospects. Did feel like they should have sold even more. We've seen this in the past where it's like, yeah, you have you know another year or two left of control of this guy, but the the value is not going to be any higher than it is now. Go out and get something that can help you out. They just either overvalue their players, have too much of a connection to them, or I don't know, think they're closer to contending than they already are and choose not to do that. But that is a uh, story for another day. Okay, into the KU mailbag. This first question from Sam Oliver. Sam uh, says, I'd love to see a fantasy football-type draft of KU players post-Mark Mangino. So a quarterback, two running backs, two receivers, a tight end, a flex, a defense, and a kicker. Now, I should just clarify this, like, and I don't think this is what Sam was intending as part of this, which is why I'm not going to do it like this. I don't think Sam wanted me to just put together the the team that put up the most fantasy points at every position, because then I could just statistically add it up and be like, well, this guy had the most, this guy had the most, right? I think what he's saying is using a fantasy football roster of just quarterback, two running back, two receivers. Now put together your team of basically best KU players in that time um, since Mark Mangino. Now, uh, Sam gave me what his would be, and he included a couple 2022 pieces in there. Um, I'm not going to include the 2022 pieces yet because of the fact that, I don't know, we we don't totally know yet. So I'm going to go 2021 to, or I guess going the opposite way there, uh, 2011 to 2021 essentially with my picks here. Quarterback, I think, would have to be Carter Stanley. And I'm, I'm going to specifically pick a season for the players, too. 2019, Carter Stanley competed 61% of his passes, over 2,600 yards, 24 touchdowns, 11 interceptions, over 7 yards per attempt. You compare those to other KU quarterbacks over the last decade, he blows them out of the water in a lot of different areas. It's pretty clearly 2019, Carter Stanley. There was a nice little stretch from Michael Cummings at the end of the 2014 season, but... That didn't totally translate into a long full season or anything like that. And he got hurt the next year. Uh, you had um, like a, a good touchdown to interception ratio season from Peyton Bender, but that was really it. Jalen Daniels looked good at the end of last year. And if this was more fantasy, like having Jason Bean's rushing ability would be nice. But yeah, it's pretty clearly Carter Stanley. Uh, the two running back spots, I've got 2018 Puka Williams. That was his true freshman season. 
He even missed the first game, which was against Nichols State. If they have him, they probably win that game. And he's adding, you know, even more yards against probably your quote-unquote easiest opponent. But he still had 1,125 rushing yards, averaged seven yards per carry. He had over 1,400 yards from scrimmage. He had nine touchdowns. He had a couple big blow-up games like the Oklahoma game comes to mind where he made that entertaining for KU at over like 200 yards in that game. 2018 Puka Williams, absolute beast. How about 2013 James Sims? Just kind of consistent. I believe this was Sims' senior season. He had over 1,100 rushing yards, just under five yards per carry, almost 1,300 yards from scrimmage, and seven touchdowns. He was just a consistent bell cow. So go with him at the other running back spot. A receiver, I actually upped this to three receivers um, just to make it a little more interesting. I have 2016 Steven Sims, who had 72 catches, 859 yards, seven touchdowns. I also had 2017 Steven Sims, who had 59 catches, 839 yards, six touchdowns. The 16 version of Steven Sims had 13 more catches. The 17 version of Sims had more explosiveness. I'm not sure which one you would take there, but I got them both on the list. And then I've got 2019 Andrew Parchment in as the other receiver. 65 catches, 831 yards, seven touchdowns. You can make argument for some other players on this list. Um, you know, Nigel King, Nick Harwell. Maybe if they had more consistent QB play or Cummings throughout the season, they would have put up more numbers. Uh Guys like Laquiviante Gonzalez, or I don't know, you could go with you know more recent guys like Dalen Charlotte, Stephon Robinson, but Parchment was the leading receiver among those. So uh, there'd be a couple guys you could go with there, but th those would be my picks. Tight end, I think this is a pretty clear one as well. 2014, I had Jimmy Mundine. He had 45 catches, 584 yards, three touchdowns. He's probably been your best at least statistically, uh, pass-catching tight end over the last decade. And then at flex, I'm going to use 2019 Puka Williams. Didn't put up quite the numbers as the 2018 version. Defenses were more keen in on him. He still ended up with almost 1,100 rushing yards, 5.2 yards per carry, almost 1,300 yards from scrimmage, and five touchdowns was still really, really good. Again, you could have gone with other guys here, like, it's kind of open to interpretation. Are you taking the best? Are you taking statistics? Whatever. You could argue Khalil Herbert. He was obviously very talented. You could uh, put in, you know, someone like, I don't know, Tony Pearson, who was kind of like a, a do-it-all guy. You could take another one of those receivers that I mentioned. Um, there's a lot of players that you could kind of go with in the flex. Defense, I would go with 2018. I would give an honorable mention nod, 2014 and 2013. Those gave up, in 2014, you gave up 33 points per game. 2013, you gave up 31 points per game. And they forced 22 and 24 turnovers, respectively, and had some pretty big names on those defenses. Like 2014, you had Ben Heaney, Isaiah Johnson, Cassius Sendish, Keon Stowers, Ja'Cory Shepard, and uh, Dexter McDonald were NFL guys, Fish Smithson. 2013, you give up two less points per game. You forced two more turnovers. But both those teams were kind of aided by slower tempos or more possession control offense where Charlie Weiss was running it a lot and trying to make it a lower scoring game, so to speak. I gave it to 2018, who actually 2018 still ended up better in points allowed per game than both those two. 30 points per game allowed by 2018, which considering the offense being a, a little more inconsistent at times, um, also considering that they were running more of an air raid and it wasn't as much of a slow it down system as those other ones. They also forced 28 turnovers, which in fantasy, 
You get a lot of points for turnovers. And probably could have been even better if the offense put them in better situations. They had some big names. Joe Deneen was elite at the linebacker position. Mike Lee and Bryce Tornadin were a solid safety duo. Daniel Wise in the middle of the defense. Zerk Kamara has stuck around now with the Kansas City Chiefs in the NFL. So you have a couple, you know, not like star defensive linemen in the NFL, but guys who were sticking on NFL rosters to a certain extent. I would go with the 2018 defense. I think the 2016 defense also probably deserved honorable mention because that 2016 defense was a defense that um, I think they gave like 37 points per game or something like that. But that team was, talk about a team that was really kind of screwed over by the offense three and outing all the time and having horrible field position. That team was among as much as anyone. And then his kicker, 2017, Gabriel Rui. He was perfect on PATs, 17 of 20 on field goals. He was really solid for KU at the uh, kicker spot. And they've had a lot of ups and downs at that kicker spot. Okay, this next question comes from Scott. You can take three players off the Orange Bowl team and add them to this year's team. Who are they? And does this year's team go bowling? So I had a lot of thought about this. The first, let's start at the quarterback position. I think a lot of people are very high, including myself, on what Jalen Daniels is and could become for KU. Could be a top-half quarterback in the Big 12. But at the end of the day, a lot of that is speculation. We did see a little bit of you know uneasiness against West Virginia, the two red zone interceptions the last time we saw him. It's entirely possible Jalen Daniels comes out this year and he has a good season and makes you still feel good where the quarterback position is going, but that he's like the eighth best quarterback in the Big 12. Like that is entirely possible. If you give me Todd Reesing, you are guaranteeing because, you know, at the time in the Big 12, you could make the argument that you had Sam Bradford or Colt McCoy or Graham Harrell or Chase Daniel, uh, these other quarterbacks that were maybe above Todd Reesing or in the same tier. I'm not saying he was behind all those guys, just saying there were tons of other great quarterbacks, right? Um, Right now in the Big 12 headed into this year, like you don't go down the list, it's not as certain of a list, right? Like who is the best quarterback? Is it Spencer Sanders just because he's been at Oklahoma State for so long? He's just been kind of like an above average solid quarterback. Is it Dylan Gabriel who transfers over from Central Florida? Is it whoever Texas starts because they're five-star recruits? Is it, you know, like there is no guarantee. So like there is a real chance where if you add Todd Reesing to this roster, he is the best quarterback in the conference. And if you say you have the best quarterback at the most important position in football on your team, it's hard to see you win in less than, what, four or five games? Like, everything could go wrong around you. You're still going to have that at the baseline. And we know KU has other talent. I think the baseline would be there. If you have the best quarterback in the conference, you're still, like I said, winning four or five games. So as much as I do believe in Jalen Daniels, I'd be tempted to take that. Here's the problem, though. If you take Todd Racing, there are so many areas that you could fill up, right? You could add to the offensive line, um, certainly if you wanted to add Anthony Collins, who was maybe the best player on that team. He was a first-team All-American. You could add to the defensive line. James McClinton was unstoppable, unblockable. You would hear stories from Brandon McAnderson when we have him on the show about how he just blew up every practice. We couldn't run what we wanted to because he, he shut everything down, and he was the focal point of the defense as an interior defensive lineman that he blew up so much of the opposition's plays and rushing plays and opened things up for other players so often that I would love to have that guy at a defensive line that really could use the run defense and defense in general when you give up over 40 points per game last season. Do you go for a guy like Joe Mortensen? Linebacker was a weakness last year. 
He was an all-conference player. He was a really good linebacker for KU. Do you go with receiver? We've talked about receiver. You don't know who the number one guy is going to be. You don't know who's going to step up there. At Orangeville team had a lot of talent at receiver, right? You have Dexton Fields, who was second on the team in receiving. You have Kerry Meyer and Desmond Briscoe, who more so broke out the next two years, but were still on that team. The leading receiver on that team, I think if you're going receiver, you have to take him. Marcus Henry had a great season. Ended up being drafted by the Jets in the NFL draft. And then, obviously, that's without me even mentioning any of the secondary. Daryl Stuckey, Chris Harris, Akib Tlaib, who was your best athlete on the team, who was a first-round draft pick in the NFL and enjoyed a long career. There's a lot of guys that you could pick and, and plug certain holes that if you take Todd Reesing, it takes away one of those. But I think I would have to take Todd Reesing. Like, I just, I, I don't know. It, it's maybe more of a basic pick to do that, but you're talking about Again, like I said, you could make the argument he would be the best quarterback in the Big 12 at the most important position on the field. I like Jalen Daniels, but you know for sure what you would be getting with Todd Reesing. So I'd go Todd Reesing. I would go Akeem Tlaib. I, I think it's, I mean, it's either him or Anthony Collins is the best player on that Orange Bowl team. You'd probably still argue Akeem Tlaib. And the one thing you get with Tlaib, you do get the multi-positional versatility. Now, he's not going to be your, your every play receiver or your star receiver, but he can add depth there. He can add being one of your top four or five receivers. So he does at least add a little bit there. You have a young secondary, a young back end. He would certainly help you out there and, and teach some of the young guys. And then the last pick, it has to be between, to me, Marcus Henry, Anthony Collins, and James McClinton. I think because this is going to be more of a running team, and they, they talk about their multiple and that they're going to take advantage of whatever their personnel is. So if you do add more receivers, then they're going to take advantage of that. They just are. But given how good the running back group is, and shout out to, you know, they're like, of course, I'd love to have Brandon McAnderson or something to the team. You just already have a loaded run back, running back unit, and there are other positions that you'd like to help more. But I, I think because maybe you want to be more of a running team, and if you have Todd Reesing to at least lift up the floor of the passing offense, I don't want to go for the receiver there. So now it's between Collins and James McClinton. If I add Collins, it really helps the offensive line for a couple ways. One, you would just be having your anchor to the uh, your offensive line, which is great. Um, and it would also, we have questions about the depth of this offensive line, but we don't really have questions about the starting five. That would give you one really solid depth piece on the offensive line, right? That you feel like could be your fifth starter. And if you're going to be running a lot, it'd be really great to have that offensive tackle kind of out there leading the way as a road grader. I'm going to go James McClinton, though. I'm going to lean that way just because having him and Lonnie Phelps on the defensive line, I think you'd blow a lot of plays up. I'm high on what Caleb Sampson could be. I think having that guy to create some chaos and help a defense that really struggled. Those would be my three answers with honorable mention picks to Collins and, and I guess, Marcus Henry. Uh, okay, this question from Kyle. What players on this year's team would start on the 2017? Essentially the inverse of the other question from Scott, more or less. This is fun, too. Um, and I have some other questions in here. I don't think we're going to get to them this week. We're going to have to get to them next week because we're running out of time here. But obviously you're not going to start Jalen Daniels over Todd Reesing. Let's just go through position by position here. Devin Neal, Kai Thomas, really good, but are they starting? I mean, Brandon McAnderson had like 1,100 rushing yards. He was a bowling ball of a running back, so I, I don't think that's the answer either. Um, receivers, obviously, you're not. I, I think you could make the argument the other way around that, like, 
any of the top four receivers on the Orange Bowl team are the number one receiver for this year's KU football team. Oh, by the way, I forgot to answer the part of Scott's question. Are they a bowl team if they add those players? If they add Todd Racing, James McClinton, and Aqib Tlaib, yes, I think they're a bowl team. Um, so anyway, uh, if we go to tight end, again, like Derek Fine, NFL player, he's not starting on the Orange Bowl team. Maybe you could make an argument that like a – I don't know the full offensive line well enough of the Orange Bowl team. Like, obviously, I know Anthony Collins. I know Cesar Rodriguez. I don't know if Mike Nowitzki, you know, like at center, he might be good enough to start or something. Um, but that's kind of more of a question mark for me. Defensive line, does Lonnie Phelps start? Uh, eh, maybe a possibility. Again, though, they, they had some dudes on that defensive side of the ball. Maybe Craig Young starts because you add all this versatility and athleticism. I don't know. There might not. There honestly might not be a guy who starts from this team onto the Orange Bowl team. But that's not like crazy to say. That team went twelve and one. That was a top five, ten team in the country, right? Like there, there's a reason they won the Orange Bowl, and that this team's Vegas over under win total is two and a half. I, I don't know. I guess you could go back to like a couple years ago and say, well, Puka Williams. But again, like B Mac and Jake Sharp were really good at the running back spots. I don't think there is an obvious answer there. Uh, ben, Ryan, Christopher, we'll get to your questions on next week's edition. We are out of time, though, on this week's mailbag because we got to get to some RCST trivia. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk. I'm Derek Johnson. You're listening on FM 1017, 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. We are brought to you by Johnny's Tavern, Jayhawk Trophy, and 23rd Street Brewery. As RCST trivia continues on, we're in week two and on to the Wednesday division here as we have a top five opponent, Andrew Filer who won his first matchup with a big last-second answering question to get him up to 11 points. Chris Yurchek, uh, unfortunately, fell a bit short in the first matchup. Uh, lost in overtime. It was a great matchup. Again, it came down to his opponent just answering one tougher, and, and he had kind of the tough go when whenever you have to choose first in overtime. Uh, but he, he put together a strong performance, 22 total points, 16 in regulation, not ranked, but certainly one of the teams receiving votes, I think, on the outside there. Uh, so, Chris, we'll start with you. You had that tough loss last week. Uh, have you thought through anything and, and changed anything up, whether it's what your strategy would be or, you know, studying a- any more, any less from last week to this? Uh, put in a little bit more study time this week than I did last week, but, you know, a tough, heartbreaking loss like that, it's make or break for the season. Uh, we'll see whether it galvanized the team or just crushed them. Well, you got a chance here to beat a top five opponent and, uh, certainly everything is, is still on the table for you. Andrew, you had that last second win, so you were kind of on the opposite end of, of what happened to Chris last week, just in a different matchup there. Uh, has that led to any extra motivation? To uh, I know you said you didn't really have maybe as much time, um, I don't know, heading into week one, I, I thought you said. Uh, have you had more time to kind of get ready here for week two? Uh, yeah, I was able to, I went through a media guide, you know, and kind of went through some things that I thought could help me out a little bit, and hopefully it, it you know, I bounced back. I missed the middle two questions last week and got the super hard one somehow, I guess. I don't know. Scott Webb just was right there in my head, so there we go. Yeah, uh, well, this has uh, certainly been a fun adventure with the scoring and everything, and it's made for some exciting finishes just as that one. Well, with that being said, we're going to go ahead and get into the action here between the two of you. We'll start in the first quarter of play. Everything in the first quarter were three. The second quarter were six in the medium round. The hard round is the third quarter were seven. And the really hard round in the fourth quarter is worth eight. Chris has already experienced overtime. Andrew has not. Uh, if we get there, I'll reiterate you guys on the overtime rules. But pretty much the same thing. You just kind of pick your adventure from there. Okay, so 
Uh, Chris, I'm going to give you the coin toss here. Do you want to choose head or tails? Let's go with tails. All right. Tails it is, and tails is the toss. You have the option. Do you want to answer the first question or the second question? Uh, let's do second. Okay. That means, Andrew, you're up first in the first quarter of play in the easy round of things. This worth three points. What KU player owns the school record for most receiving yards in one game with 269 of them on October 18th, 2008 against Oklahoma? There's two guys from that team. I'm going to say Desmond Briscoe. That's right, Desmond Briscoe, 269. They lost that game somehow, but they could not stop Desmond Briscoe. All right, three points here on the board. This over to you, Chris. What KU player owns the school record for most receptions in one game with 16 of them on October 10th, 2009 against Iowa State? Probably Kerry Meyer. Yep. You guys both had kind of the, like, you could have guessed either one for both those answers. But, yeah, carry a little carry more of the possession. Said, yeah. yeah, Desmond, more of the, the big play guy. So, uh, you're both on the board. Those might have been able to be medium, but it, it's really a 50-50 shot, even if you didn't know it. Okay, uh, on to the medium round of things. Back to you, Andrew. This worth six points. This Kansas running back wore the number 29 and led the 2006 Jayhawks in rushing yards. John Cornish. That's correct. John Cornish, one of the better all-time KU running backs. There have been a good list of them. Okay, back to you, Chris. This Kansas running back wore the number one and was second on the 2007 Jayhawks in rushing yards. What's his name? Jake Sharp. That is correct as well. Jake Sharp only uh, trailed Brandon McAnderson in terms of rushing yards on that team and then would go on to lead the following season. All right, we're tied 9-9, nine to nine, headed into halftime, into the third quarter we go. Back to you, Andrew. This for seven points. This Jayhawk was set to be the starting quarterback headed into the 2015 season, but suffered a season-ending injury in the spring game. What's his name? Uh, there's a handful of names kind of popping in my head there. I One that I don't think ever did much. I'll say Peyton Bender. The correct answer is Michael Cummings. Oh, okay. I don't know if that rings a bell. Michael Cummings. I, I was at the, that spring game, and I just remember, like, he was, you know, he had a pretty good stretch at the end of 2014. He was the guy coming into the air, and then it was like a walk-on safety, like speared him in the knee and injured. It was the most KU football thing of all time. You're starting quarterback when you actually maybe have some stability there, out for the year, and never played another game for KU. Okay, for you, Chris, to take the lead headed into the fourth quarter. This former Pitt Panthers quarterback transferred to Kansas by way of the JUCO ranks, but saw his first and only pass of the 2019 season go down as an interception. What's his name? Hmm. Running that same problem he was. There were just so many guys during that <laughs> yeah, there era. There are. <laughs> um, is that McVitie? That is Thomas McVitie. 
One right. pass in 2019 was an interception. That's tough. I think he threw some passes in 2020, so fortunately that wasn't his only pass of his KU career. But, yeah. All right, so that's a big seven for you, Chris. You take a 16-9 to lead over Andrew. So, Andrew, you got to hit this really hard question to have a chance to win here. But if you do, you take the lead and you really put the pressure on Chris. All right, Andrew. After serving, I'm sorry, after going to Texas, then serving in World War II, this guard transferred to Kansas and was all big six in 1947. He would later become a head coach at the University of Kansas. What's his name? Uh, say Don Fambro. Was that a complete guess? Because you got it right. I, they're the coaches. That's just the name that popped into my head. <laughs> I mean, that's the name that popped into my head. And I knew he was a guard, or I knew he was an offensive lineman. So. Oh my gosh, man, Chris! Right now, Chris is trending. <laughs> oh, to, I mean, Chris can still get this right and get the win. But if Chris loses like this on back-to-back weeks, uh, you're you're ju- you're just that team that's snake bitten, where it's like they are the they're the best yeah. seven and five team in the country. They just had all these close losses that. The ball didn't go their way. They had some weird turnover luck, weird fumble luck. That, the Nebraska football of RCST football. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Every game is a one-score game. All right, Chris, let's see if you can uh, get this for a perfect score and for the win in the really hard round, Chris. Kansas had the country's leader in yards per punt in 1959. It was a multi-positional player, though, who also starred on offense. What's his name? I believe that was John Hadle. That is correct. That is a big hit for you there, Chris. You uh, avoided the what would have been a really difficult loss. You come away with the victory, twenty-four to seventeen. High-scoring matchup. So that was a good. I think a good time for both of you guys. Uh, yeah. Tough for you there, Andrew. Andrew, did you know the answer to the John Hadle one at the end there? I would have gotten Hadle as well. Yeah. And that's all Chris, right. No, I missed the question. That's all right. Uh, Chris, did you know the uh, answer to the Don Fambro one? Would you have just thrown something out similarly? You know what? I was running through coaches in my head more than All-American guards, and Fambro hadn't popped up yet, but I, I might have gotten there and for the buzzer, but no guarantee. Well, let's go back to the hard round then, because that's what ended up deciding things here. Uh, Chris, did you know the Michael Cummings one? I did. I was at that spring game. I remember okay. that hit you were talking about, yeah. and it was it was a very KU football moment. Yeah. Um, pretty crushing. Yeah. Uh, Andrew, did you know the Thomas McVitie one? Uh, I don't know if I would have gotten a Thomas McVitie either. That might have just been – I may not have gotten anything on that round. Cummings, the name is familiar, but McVitie, at least I remember yeah. him committing and being kind of a big deal. So, yeah. Maybe that's what we'll do. Maybe we'll get for the the winner of this whole event, we'll get like a uh, – we'll, we'll add in another prize. I'll get one of those. Have you ever seen those like Cleveland Browns jerseys where it has like the name of like every quarterback on the back? We'll get that with like KU football quarterbacks since Todd Reese. That would be kind of a funny yeah, gift for uh, But Andrew – Opt on that. Yeah, right? <laughs> well, Andrew, 17 points. You come away with the loss. That, that's got to be pretty crushing, right? But overall, one and one with, with 28 points. I think you're uh, sitting pretty okay through two rounds. Cool. Good. I mean, it, yeah, that's that's a bummer. I mean, going up against someone who's solid and gets all four of their questions, right? I can't really be upset. I mean, upset I missed a question about Michael Cummings. I mean, is Michael Cummings my new uh, Paul McKeskey? Mm. Derek, you never know. We'll just We'll get there. We'll see. I think so, Paul McKeskey yeah. holds a uh, a special spot, that's for sure, at least in my heart. Always will. Uh, Chris, meanwhile, you went perfect this week, and it took you going perfect to get the win, especially after you had the, the crushing defeat last week. 
how how good did this feel? Oh, it feels great. My heart's pounding right now. It was when he got the uh, Fanbro question. I was just furious. <laughs> kind of upset. It felt like a repeat of last week, and then threw me the the Hadel question, which I knew immediately. I'd been reading that in the media guide earlier this week, and uh, feels great. Awesome. Well, guys, I appreciate it. Another good contest. Both of you still in contention for number one in the division, bowl bid, playoff appearance, whatever it is, and uh, we'll talk to you both next week. Cool. Thanks, Derek. Good luck, Andrew. See you, Chris. Good luck, man. North CST Trivia brought to you by Johnny's Tavern, Jayhawk Trophy, and 23rd Street Brewery. Another great matchup there, 24-17 to the final. Chris coming out with the win over Andrew. Those are, you know, I'm I, you're not supposed to pick favorites and everything. And honestly, like, I really don't have favorites and – um, there are, when I say like, you know, two of my favorite contestants, I have like a long list of favorite contestants. Like I, I probably have like, you know, double digit favorite contestants. It's like, I have the the biggest family, uh, in the world, but, um, those are two of my favorite contestants. They're, they're good sports. They, they love doing this thing. Uh, they're both really good at it as well. Like I said, I have other, you know, people that I, I love that do this event as well, but it's always fun when you get two people you really like going up against each other and, and they kind of get it and everything. And, um, man, either way, we were going to have a fun finish there after Andrew answered that Don Fambro question correctly, uh, at the end and uh good win for, for Chris in the end there. I don't know. Was that, was the John Hadle one easier than the Don Fambro one? I, I think of John Hadle, you know, more for 1961 when he was a Heisman finalist. So 59, maybe it wouldn't come together, uh, but he did star on offense. If you know, John Hadle punted, that would be it. But, also, if you knew Don Fambro was an All-American guard before coach, maybe that's the hit there. I don't know. Maybe they're about similar equal uh, difficulty. But nonetheless, Chris ended up uh, with the victory 24-17. And I think uh, if, if those questions were switched, I, I don't know if it would have affected much. Uh, nonetheless, both those guys still have a, a clear chance to do everything they want to do because they both know their stuff. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. One trivia matchup down. One more to go between Ryan Brown and Keegan Russell. That on the other side. This is RCST Trivia on Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Second trivia matchup of the day features Ryan Brown and Keegan Russell. Ryan fell just short last week, scored 10 points. He was up 10-3 to into the really hard round. And then his opponent, Andrew, came up with a huge eight-pointer on the really hard to come away with the victory in the end. It's a tough way to lose for Ryan for Keegan. He was on a bye in week one, which is always tough when you have a week one bye. You're like chomping at the bit to kind of get going and everything. So, Keegan, we'll start with you as, as the your first matchup here. Um, obviously, didn't get a chance to talk to you last week. And uh, go ahead and, and tell me about your KU fandom, when it goes back to favorite KU football player, those sorts of things. Yeah, so for me, this is definitely going to be a lot tougher than KU basketball trivia, even though I completely disappointed myself and got out early. Um, K football, there's just so many guys on the team year after year to dive into. So I'm hoping I can just have some fun with it. But for football, for me, I've been going to games probably since as early as 2003. Um, I think one of my early games I remember was definitely during the, the Whittemore, Clark Green era. Um, obviously have been through loss after loss. Um, but over the years, you know, I don't want to pick any of the easy guys from the Orange Bowl year, but I was a big fan of John Cornish and James Sims. I think both of them were just real incredible tough runners that hope would have had an NFL career, but college level, I think they, they definitely impressed a lot. Um, and then in recent years, I, I really like watching uh, Stephen Sims on the field. He was just lightning quick and 
on on bad teams did a lot of a lot of good. Yeah, there's certainly been a, a host of those KU players on bad teams, yeah. but really good individuals that it's unfortunate they never got a bowl game or anything. Ryan, uh, this is obviously your week two. Have you had more time to digest that kind of stunning end to your week one matchup, and, and has that led to you doing anything different between weeks here? No, um, you know, I haven't done, I haven't, I don't study. I don't, I didn't study for any of the basketball ones. I didn't study for this. I think it would just confuse me. So, um, I thought my, um, reasoning was pretty good, but, um, I guess I just didn't think one step further on some of those answers. Um, well, no, you're right. I mean, you had good process there and sometimes that's, that is the battle. A lot of these can come down to just educated guesses. Like you had the right, we, we heard you taking through the process last week. You just ended up with the wrong result. All right. So, uh, with that being said, we are going to get into our matchup here and, uh, Keegan, I will give you the option in your first matchup here. Do you want heads or tails on the quarter? I always go heads. All right. It is tails. So, Ryan, you have the choice. Do you want to go first or go second? Uh, let's go first. Okay. So, you will start off in the easy round. This were three points in the first quarter. Ryan, who was KU's head coach from 2012 to 2014, getting fired mid-year in 2014? Charlie Weiss. Yep, Charlie Weiss. Three points for that one. Did not give KU a decided schematic advantage. He said that quote at Notre Dame, but uh, yeah. Okay, Keegan, this one for you. Your first question of RCST trivia for three points in the first quarter. Who took over for Charlie Weiss midseason in that final year in 2014? I believe it was Clint Bowen. That is correct. Now the head coach over at Lawrence High School, longtime defensive coordinator, former player at KU, bleeds crimson and blue and he took over for charlie weiss who knows uh may have ended up even being the head coach had they won that tcu game which they were so close to doing okay three to three the score into the second quarter we go back to you ryan this jayhawk linebacker played at ku from 2015 to 2018 and ranks fourth in school history in total tackles by a linebacker with 386 of them what's his name Uh, Joe Deneen. That's correct. Joe Deneen, another local kid from Free State. Deneens have been a uh, big football family, but unfortunately the last couple ones have wound up in Manhattan. Okay, back to you, Keegan. This is the Tide at 9, headed into the halftime break. Playing from 2010 to 2013, name this Kansas running back who went on to finish third in school history in total rushing yards. That would be my guy, James Sims. Yeah, that was fate. Just happened to line up for you there with those questions. Okay, 9-9 nine to nine the score. We head into halftime and go into the third quarter of play. Back to you, Ryan. This for seven points. Kansas began the 1995 season unranked, then worked to 24th before climbing 14 spots between after winning their fifth game on the road against what fourth-ranked opponent. So Kansas jumped all the way from 24th uh, into the top 10 after winning their fifth game of the season over what fourth-ranked team? Uh, 
I've got it down to two. I'm going to go with Colorado. That is correct. See, again, your process worked out. This time you got the proper result there. What was the other one that you were thinking of out of curiosity? Oklahoma. Yeah. Yeah, that Oklahoma would be a good guess just because they're always ranked up there. But yeah, Colorado was the correct answer. Okay, for you, Keegan, need this to tie it going into the fourth quarter. Kansas would peak as high as number six a few weeks later that same 1995 season at 7-0. and That was the highest that they would get ranked that year. But then they suffered a 41-7 to loss to what 14th-ranked opponent? mid-90s, that is one I did not pay attention about, too. I'm just going to, based on who would have been decent at that time, my best guess is going to be Oklahoma. Correct answer is Kansas State. It was right when uh, K-State was getting real good under Bill Snyder and everything. So, uh, still live here. It is 16-9 to the score. Ryan currently leading Keegan. We go to the fourth quarter. Ryan, if you get this question right, you have a chance to secure the win. If not, you could be looking at a potential repeat of what happened last week where you're up seven, your opponent answers the really hard and beats you by a point. That'd be tough to stomach. Okay, Ryan, for you. Only trailing Desmond Briscoe for most receiving yards in an individual season is what Jayhawk from 1983? David Verser. The correct answer is Bob Johnson Sr. I don't know if he was a senior when he played or that got added into the record book after, but uh, Bob Johnson, the correct answer there. Okay. It's a good showing by you, Ryan. 16 points, but Keegan has the chance to once again kind of nab one away from you here. This for eight points in the win, Keegan. Only trailing Todd Reesing and Frank Sire. What Jayhawk is third on the career passing yards list playing in from 1986 to 1989? And I looked at that top five so much. I know I'm going to get this one wrong. Uh, 10 seconds. I'm going I'm to go with Nolan Cromwell. I'm gonna have to you had to get something out there. The correct answer is Kelly Donahoe. So, Ryan, you survive here and just avoid what could have happened to you last week as well. Uh, how, how does that feel? Does it, does it feel good to get the pressure off that you get your first win here on the football side of trivia? Yeah, it does. Um, if I had lost again in the same fashion, I think uh, we'd have to fire a coach. <laughs> wow, early in the season. Coach is on the hot seat already. I love it. Well, Keegan, uh, you were so close, and, and in your first game, you come up a little bit short here. Back to the drawing board, but but still a pretty good first performance for you. What would you think about this first uh, entrance into the football side of trivia? So I came in with very, very low expectations of myself. I was hoping just to get at least one question right. So going two for four, I'm, I'm okay with. Um, my, my goal, you know, for next week is, you know, take up the mantra that the team's had the last year and get 1% better each day and see if next week that means three out of four. 
There you go. That's that's a good uh, that's a good mantra to have there. Um, so Ryan, I'm curious. Uh, did you happen to know the the answer to? Because I, I guess what ended up being the difference here was the hard round. Um, did you happen to know the answer to? I guess either of uh, Keegan's final two answers there, the the who they lost to, forty one seven in nineteen ninety five, or the uh, Kelly Donahoe one at the end. Yeah, um, I happen to know those just because you know Kelly Donahoe was right about when I first started watching or watching listening to KU football on the radio. Um, so he was like the first quarterback that I really remembered. And then um, on the other one, I did. I was 50-50. I knew we got smoked by K-State and Nebraska that year, and I can't remember. There are similar scores, I think, but I don't remember which one came first. Yeah, that Nebraska team was was ridiculous that year. Um, that would have been a good guess as well. But uh, good win for you, and uh, we appreciate you listening on the radio. Obviously, you can listen right here on KLWN. Uh, throughout the season and on our sister station, 105.9 KISS. But Ryan, Keegan, good work, and uh, we'll talk to you guys next week. Appreciate you guys. Thank you. Thank you. Good luck to you. You too. Once again, RCST Trivia is brought to you by 23rd Street Brewery, Jayhawk Trophy, and Johnny's Tavern. And a fun second matchup there, man. That would have been tough. It's funny because we had, I, I guess that's the theme today, right? Chris almost lost on pretty much uh, not an exact same way, but a very similar way that he would have lost last week. But then he comes away with the win. Ryan almost lost on the same way that he lost last week, but he barely comes away with the win. So uh, I don't know what the the theme would be. Redemption, if that's the right word for it, but good wins for everyone. And, And that's the thing with this. This is what I've been saying. I really do think there are going to be some divisions where the right two and two with the right amount of points or head to heads or whatever, could win your division. At the least, it's going to make a couple bowl games because there are a lot of you know, players who I think are, are really good in this event to where you could just kind of beat up on each other. And I think that's what we saw today. Like Teams are going to start having similar records and everything. It's going to be a little bit harder to kind of dice everything up. But another fun day of RCST Trivia. We'll be back for another day coming up tomorrow. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it.